This morning we're in Romans, and if I keep talking about this stuff, I'm going to get teary-eyed. I already am, so, but anyway, if you want to know uh, the exciting things that go on in our house, you got to come to game night. Um, as you find out, my, one of my sons learned something new about their mom that they never knew before, as uh, Anissa is a great uh, cheerer on a football uh, my wife never watches football. There's not. A, it's like, what's on TV? Football. Okay, she walks out of the room. <laughs> football has no meaning to her. But last night we were at uh, Kedrick's uh, playoff game, and she got hoarse. And she's like, "What's that? What did that? What happened?" <laughs> it was like, she's like, <laughs> my son was laughing the whole night. My oldest son was just like this is mom? And I'm like, yeah, you've never seen mom at live football games before. And uh, anyway, but yeah, if you come to game night, you'll realize that the real gamer in the family is my wife. And she closed down the church last time. So, <laughs> so she enjoyed it. It was wonderful. And uh, there's a couple of games she really, really loves. Hey, don't let the men's fellowship. Uh, um, it's really, I'm not really leading it at all. It's a couple of other men that said, hey, let's get together. Let's meet around the, the fire pits and fellowship together and uh, have some real conversations and, um, and not leave, uh, leave each other hanging, um, but really support one another. And so they just, I got brought into it just so I could cook meat. You know, that's, <laughs> I'm there for the meat. So uh, come and enjoy the fellowship and uh, you'll hear announcements from time to time. And we're starting a little early this, this, this time, just so that way we can beat out and uh, beat out the, um, par- or almost said parking lot party, but beat out the, the uh, quizzing, the Bible quizzing, and so whatnot. And so come and be a part of that, men. You, uh, you won't be shocked or embarrassed, or you'll, you'll have a good time around the fire just in hanging out. So rain or shine. We're going to meet, and we're going to uh, meet around my property um, and also Jim's property from time to time. So we'll rotate, but it'll be great. So, well, let's go to the Lord and ask him for prayer as we uh, go to Romans chapter 6 and talk about our new life that God purchased for us when he died on the cross for our sins and rose again, conquering death. What is this new life all about, and how does that how do we deal with our sin, and what does that look like, this fight that we are now in with the old life and the new life? So let's pray and ask God to bless this time as we read God's word in our text in Romans chapter 6. Lord, we come to you humbly, uh, Lord, trembling, because you are good, and we know if we assess our heart that we truly aren't good. We can do good things, but Lord, we struggle in many ways. We need you, we need your goodness, we need your righteousness, because Lord, that's, you are the power for those things, you are powerful, and we humbly come recognizing that your word is powerful, it's instructive, and Lord, it does surgery on our hearts, so Lord, we offer up our hearts that we might hear and glean from your truth this morning. Lord, instruct us simply through the power of your word, your Holy Spirit, as you teach us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Romans chapter 6, it's 
this wonderful section of verses as we've been going through and talking about these two men that represent two different kingdoms, one that is bound by the power of sin, one that is, is bound by the work of Christ and what he's done for us on the cross, that has been, we've been purchased by his blood. We are his, if we are saved, if he's saved us, we are represented by Christ. If we're not saved, we're represented by Adam who is, who is in sin and under the power and constraints of sin. And we struggle in many ways to break the power of that. We can't, but God did through Christ. So we're living in that kingdom or in the kingdom of God now and looking forward to that new kingdom. And that's what we've been talking about. And so we're either under the power and slavery of sin or under the power and slavery of God and his righteousness and the powerful working of the gospel in our life, which results in two fruits. And it results in two different things in our life. When we submit to the slavery of sin, it's going to produce one thing. If we, we submit to the slavery of God and, and his righteousness and his life, we're obedient to him, it produces something entirely different. And that's where we are at in the text of Romans chapter 6. So let's start in verse 12 and read to the end of the chapter. Or I'm sorry, let's look at verse 15 and to the end of the chapter. It says, what then? Are we to sin? Because we're not under the law, but under grace by no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves to sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I'm not speaking, or I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, which leads to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regards to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things for which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end outcome is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Both powerful words of God, both encouraging words of God, and sometimes can be confusing words as we unravel these two aspects. There's a lot of comparing of these two things, whether it's a slave to sin or a slave to righteousness, the things of God, 
being in God's kingdom or being in the kingdom of sin, being under the representation of Christ who represented us and died for, in our place to pay for our sin, or being under the representative Adam and, and being in the power and controlling aspect of sin in your life, which results in bearing two different kinds of benefit or fruits. And that's what we want to look at this morning is as we look at our new life in Christ is the results of serving your master. Which master are you serving? I want you to keep in mind that in the, in the culture in Rome, think about if you were to go back in Rome, think of all the things you've learned about Rome, the Colosseum, all of the things going on, all the partying that was going on. You know, Rome was, if you go to Rome, probably the easiest way for me to describe it was uh, just one giant frat house party. It's probably the easiest way to describe it. Just, just uncontrollable sin. Just living in debauchery, doing whatever they wanted, whenever they wanted, for whatever purpose they wanted. This is what Paul is writing. This is what God has given, not only to Rome, the church in Rome, but to us, as it was written to the Gentiles and the Jewish community. The citizens of ancient Rome had a firsthand understanding of what it meant to present sacrifices or to present yourself to something. And if they understood what it meant to present yourself as a slave, we don't quite get that idea. We don't quite understand that. We understand that if we take a loan out, that we really are now under some obligation to that loan, right? And so there's a sense of being a slave to that loan, but is nothing compared to what God is really bringing out here. We really miss the seriousness of what it means to present ourselves to one or the other. Paul and Rome. Paul's speaking to Rome, and he's speaking not only to, to Rome, but to us, because we have a tendency to think about freedom from a weak human perspective. I want you to think about that. When we think about freedom, we take, we take a horizontal, not a vertical approach. The reality is, is we don't really think about being free from slavery. We, we tend to think about being free to just do whatever we want. The humanistic approach is not the approach that God has taken here. We need to really think and present ourselves and think about really what benefit does giving ourselves to the slavery of sin or giving ourselves to the slavery of God, what is there the fruit of those two options? Who do we present ourselves to? And does it really make a difference? And that's what Paul is getting at to the church in Rome. It does make a huge difference to present ourselves to someone in service. And that's what he's talking about. So we get into verse 19. And I love Paul here. And he's telling us, is that, look, we, we think in human things, right? We think very 
in a, in a weak human way. And that's what he's saying in verse 19. He's, he says, I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. That's why he's talking about being slave to sin or a slave or obedient to God in righteousness. That's why he's talking about this idea of who do you serve. That's why he's talking about two kingdoms and two representatives. He's trying to put it in terms that they would understand. And he wants us to understand it as well. And so let's look at the first one. And so he says the results, what does it look like? What is the fruit? What is produced when we present ourselves to sin? When we, when we choose to say, hey, I'm, I, this is not that big of a deal. I'm just going to present myself to sin. And the more we do that, the more we become slaves. And it says, for just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, now instead present yourself to something else. And he goes on to say, not only that, but he goes on to say in verse 21, but what fruit or what benefit were you getting at that time from the things for which you now are ashamed as you become a slave to sin and as it's, being, as it's being doled out in your life, what kind of benefit are you really getting from those things that you now are actually ashamed of? It's interesting. We see some very important things. The first one that Paul brings up is, is that when we present ourselves uh, to sin and to be in the service of sin and become a slave to sin, we're really... Presenting ourselves to impurity. The direct result is impurity. Now think of impurity. If you just take off M, what do you have left? Purity. What is Paul talking about then? Is It's very simply, it's the opposite of purity. If we think about something that's pure, like when we want a gold bar, we want the purest gold bar that we can find. We just don't want a little carrot of gold. We want all the carrot of gold, right? When we go out and we dig up gold, we don't just want a little nugget of gold that has just a little bit of gold with ore. We want the solid vein of gold. When we go and buy chocolate, I don't want wax and chocolate. I want that dark chocolate that's just cocoa and, right? Right? Yeah, there you go. Yeah, we want the real stuff. Give me the pure chocolate. And my family goes, ugh. <laughs> Except for my wife. She loves that. Yeah, that craft, good, dark chocolate. It's good stuff. Yeah, we, here's the thing. This is what he's talking about. Impurity. It refers to filth or to refuse. Paul's point here is that sin defiles us. It's impure. Do you know that there are two different kinds of water lines? There's gray water, there's, there's, there's water that comes in, and there's water that goes. Which one do you want to wash your hands and face with? <laughs> yeah, we want the filtered water, right? Paul's point here is that sin, it defiles us. It produces something that's corrupt, By the way, the idea here is that the sinner is never a winner. 
It produces something in us that corrupts us. That's the first result of presenting ourselves to to the slavery of sin. Impurity describes filthiness of the heart and mind. Literally, God is talking about our emotions and how we think. It begins to corrupt the way our emotions and the way we think, which then leads to an outward impurity. This word here is literally talking, it starts in your heart, it corrupts, it twists your heart, so then it twists your thinking, and as it twists your thinking, you think, well, this is really not that bad, but it leads to something else, which he says, lawlessness, in verse 19. See, impurity defiles the being where lawlessness violates God's law, right? Impurity refers to the inward part of our heart and our thinking where lawlessness is the response to that, the controlling factor of that, then controls our outward being. When we think of lawlessness, it's emphasizing an attitude of complete disregard for the statues of God. So when we present ourselves to sinful situations, it begins to degrade the way we we think and feel, which then changes the way we do things. It, It gives us a disregard. We say, I don't really care what God says. It means that living our life as if there is no law, it doesn't really matter. A person, a lawless person is a person who rejects God's authority and doesn't care what God thinks about his habits. Lawlessness is living as though your own ideas are superior to God. What I think, what I want to do is better. I don't care. So impurity leads to this lawlessness. And lawlessness says this, God may command it, but I I don't prefer it. It's not what I prefer. I'm going to do something else. That's lawlessness. Lawlessness says God may promise it, but I don't want it. Lawlessness replaces God's law with my own desire. I become a law to myself. My desire becomes king. What I feel becomes king. See, the, see the idea here is this, this downward approach. This is the decay that God is talking about. When we present ourselves in this text, he's saying that it starts with this impurity of our heart to where it decays the way we think and the way we feel. And as it decays that, it leads to this idea of lawlessness where we really look at God in a very dishonoring way. Rather than glorifying God, we're really dishonoring him. Basically, lawlessness is outright rebellion, saying I'm going to do what I want and I don't care what you say, God. And looking it up, I, I thought the, the synonyms and the different definitions of lawlessness was just eye-opening. They include words such as anarchy, rebellion, insurgence, insubordination, chaos, disorderliness, mutiny, recklessness, sedition, unruly, unruliness, ah, I can't say it, unruliness. <laughs> How's that? That's lawlessness. By the way, so we see this step. Impurity changes the way we 
think and the way we feel, it, it just de decomposes that. The more we present ourselves to sin, which leads to this outward rebellion in God. We don't care about what he says. We don't really listen to it. Yeah, I know this to be true about God, but I'm not going to follow it. Which leads, guess what? To further lawlessness. <laughs> Here's this idea. Paul is saying, guess what? The, the, it's a, it's a sled, sledding slope. Have you ever sled down a mountain and ended up at the top? <laughs> right? When you sled down the mountain, when you ski down the mountain, whether you snowboard down the mountain, you always have to what? You have to work your way back to the top. Some of us kill ourselves more than others. <laughs> Try to get back to the top. No, the idea here is this, what Paul is saying is this in verse 19. It leads to further lawlessness. Sin leads to more sin. Sin never leads to better things. That is what this Greek word is saying when it says further lawlessness. In other words, sin is a down, downhill path. I've never seen anybody that has decided to, that says, presents themselves, says, hey, this sin over here is not really that big of a deal. And watch them live in that sin. And I've never seen them just get better. I've actually seen them get more angry with God's people. And then they get more angry with God's people. Then it leads to them, they don't go to church. And then they stop talking to godly people. And then they stop reading their Bibles altogether. And then eventually they're, they're just off by themselves doing worse things than that they said they would never do. Oh, I'll, I'll never be that person. I, I'm tired of talking to people and they say, oh, pastor, I'm so sorry. I didn't listen to your warning because you weren't talking about whether the thing I liked was good or bad. You were talking about the direction I was going. I didn't listen. That's what Paul's saying to the church in Rome here. In verse 19, he's saying, For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, which leads to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness. For when you were a slave to sin, you were free in regards to righteousness. By the way, it says, you were free in regards to righteousness. You know, it's not saying that they had righteousness. It was saying that they were free from the power of righteousness because they were in chains to sin. When we are present ourselves to righteousness, we are free from sin. Those who begin by walking in the counsel of the wicked, right? Romans chapter 1, Psalm chapter 1. Those who began to walk in the counsel of the wicked will soon find themselves standing in the way of sinners and eventually sitting in the seat with mockers who mock God. By the way, if you notice, it leads to shame and death. He said, here, if you go on, it says, but the fruit you were getting at that time, for what fruit were you getting at that time from the things from which you are now ashamed? The word shame there is associated with being afraid. You're afraid of what people think about you because of your life. Feeling shame, which prevents one from doing something. We feel shame, and so we don't do things with our life. 
We're reluctant to say or do something because of the fear of humiliation. We experience a lack of courage to stand up for something or feeling shameful because of what has been done. Because of this corruption, the natural result ends in shame and death. It distorts our values. We saw sin as something that was more attractive than righteousness. So Paul says we were free from the power of righteousness because we weren't attracted to righteousness. We were attracted to sin. It had more power and influence over our life when we were in sin. So Paul says here we were free from the power of righteousness. That is, it had no power to sway us. Righteousness didn't look attractive or rewarding. And so it its appeal to us was powerless. We didn't care. God's righteous and power in his righteous life, his holiness, his goodness, his gospel means nothing because we are under the chain and power of death because of sin. When it says death, by the way, it's not, it's not really the main word for physical death. It, it's talking about we are dying each day that leads to eternal death. It's talking about the quality of one's present life. You are dead in your life. You're not living an abundant life that's free in righteousness, that's free to enjoy the power of God's righteous life, to free to enjoy the power of God's holiness, to become more like him, to be empowered by him, to enjoy to be out from under the burden and thumb of God's, or uh, not sorry, to be out from under the power and the pressure of sin and be free and uplifted by the power of God's righteousness. That's what it, that's the difference. But yet we're, we're being corrupted to the point that leads to death. Our quality of life just continues to go downhill. Where Paul uses the term of death, it brought that was brought about by human sin. And it's not referring merely to the physical death, but to the death that is separated every day from the joy of the Lord that is our strength. This is referring promptly exactly what, what Solomon was saying in Proverbs when he says in verse 14, verse 12, and great, great wise saying, it says, there is a way... And we see that God is telling us there's two ways. There's the way of sin or the way of life by Christ and in Christ. He says there is a way that seems right to man, but it, its end, its outcome is the way to death. It leads to death. It just... Your life just keeps getting darker and darker and more corrupt. The feelings, the emotions, it's just going in the wrong direction. To walk, to present yourself to sin means that you're walking further and further away from the joy of the Lord. Remember, he's talking to believers in the church of Rome. He's talking to us to remind us, don't present yourself to this because you've been bought and paid for to live here in righteousness. Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, 
Nobody liked him. Nobody wanted to listen to him. God says, just give them my word and don't worry about it. This was my instruction manual by one of my mentors. He said, get used to the life of Jeremiah. That's what you need to do as a pastor. I was like, whoa. <laughs> Praise the Lord, I have many more friends <laughs> in God's, the body of Christ. <laughs> but this missionary told me, he says, get to know Jeremiah. I understand. Jeremiah 21.8 says, And to this people you shall say, talking to Jeremiah, to Israel, he says, Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I set before you the way of life, or the way of life and the way of death. Which one are you going to follow? God's telling us this as a church. Who are you going to present your life to? The way of death or the way of life? Philippians 3 19 through 21, talking about those that focus on the flesh, that they put their, all their emphasis life on how they feel and, and about how good they are. And Paul says, that's not who I am anymore. I put everything in my life to know Christ. It's all about Christ. But he says in verse 19 of the other group of people that focus on how good they are, said, their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. Their glory is in their shame with mindsets set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. From it, we wait a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Right? This is the result of presenting ourselves to sin. This is what he's talking. This is how he describes that way of death. Look at the results of being a slave to God. Look at the contrast here. Again, in verse 19 and in, in 22, he says, in verse 19, remember, he says, So now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. We'll talk about what that means. It's a big word. It's easy to understand, though. Verse 22 says, But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the fruit, of the, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. Look at the results here. The first one is very simple. It's freedom. We are free. We are free not to, this idea of freedom is not, I'm free to just now, oh, I'm saved. I can just do whatever I want. That's not what Paul is talking about here. We're, we're free from the penalty of sin. Sin no longer chains us. My chains have been broken. They've been set free. Not by me. I'm not Hulk. I don't break chains. Christ broke them when he died on the cross for my sins. He broke the power of sin. He broke those chains. He paid for me and brought me out of the dungeon of despair and brought me into new life, into his kingdom. He brought me from decay and gave me life. He brought me from death to life. And he brought me out of that freedom, from freedom, from, uh, from the freedom from the penalty of sin 
to the life that I now have in Christ. The penalty of sin no longer has authority over my life. God does. But he also delivered us from the freedom of the power. He freed us from the power of sin. Sin no longer has power over our life. We're tempted. We're drawn away by desires. We still, sin is still there saying, come over, come over. Look at me, I'm beautiful. Don't worry, there are no consequences. There's just joy. And we fall prey to that many times, that temptation. Many different things. Many things that Paul says that are good, but yet are not beneficial, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We say, well, that looks good. Isn't that what Satan told Eve? Look at how beautiful that fruit is. But that fruit she took belonged to God, and it caused decay, not life. The more we believe God's facts about our eternal position that we've been bought with a price, taken from death, and he's brought us into life, into his kingdom, through Christ, who has redeemed us, who has justified us and declared us right by his work, it's a work that he did, the more we believe and trust in that, the more the truth of who God is will affect our experiences and condition of our life. Which leads to holiness. You ever been like, what does it mean to be holy? For I am holy. I can't be holy. I'm not pure. I'm not perfect. God said there's no unrighteous, no not one. Well, he said sanctification here, he said it says it leads, when we're a slave to righteousness, it leads to sanctification. It leads to holiness. Sanctification means this. It does not mean that you're completely holy. It's not that you have this 100% state of holiness like God, but rather the process of being made holy and being conformed to the image of God. You have that power now to, to grow into the image of God, becoming more and more like his character and his conduct, that which God desires us to be. It was used, by the way, this idea of sanctification was used in the Greek world, the Greek pagan world, in religion to describe buildings, altars or offerings that were set apart for religious purposes. The object set apart was thus declared sacred, holy, devoted to the religious purpose. It applies also to the worshipers. They were set apart persons, thus religious devotees, of the temple. That's why God tells us in 1 Peter 1, 13 through 16, verses 3 through 12 tells us we were declared right by God. We have this divine gift given to us by God through the Lord Jesus Christ. We have this gift that's being held for us in heaven. He did this amazing divine work that we could never do. We've been declared right by, God, by Christ's work. And he goes on to say, Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace 
that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but also he who called you is holy. That's our representative. That's our, the authority. That's who's on the throne of this kingdom of life, the kingdom of light, the kingdom of life. God is holy. That's our image. That's our king. He is holy. So who should we pattern our life after? As obedient children. But he who called you is holy. You also be holy in all of your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. See, Paul changes the focus from the position of being free from sin to the practice of holiness. Admonishing and, and, and convicting and, and commanding believers to make their lives correspondent to their new king. Look at your new king. Look at who he is. Look how big he is. Look how glorious he is. Look how powerful he is. Look at all who he is. Look at everything. And as you do, you begin to reflect who he is. Because he is that powerful. His righteousness begins to reflect off of you and you become like him because of who he is. Stop looking at the sin and the world and the corruption. Look at the Redeemer. This is what Paul is saying. When we present ourselves to this new king of righteousness, we become sanctified, which leads to eternal life. The outcome in verse 22 says, but now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit, in some translations they use the word fruit there as they say benefit, the benefit you get leads to sanctification and its end, that its end is the word outcome, is eternal life. It's the culmination of growth. In the end, as you become sanctified and set apart and become, as he, his righteousness becomes part of your life, the total outcome of that is our eternal life with Christ in his kingdom for all eternity. Do you see the, the difference of both of the results? of who you present your life to? Now that you're a believer in Christ, who will you present your life to? The world and the culture around us is going to distract us and say, it's okay, you don't have, that's just being religious. And you say, oh yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm just doing these things because the church does them. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. You're not looking to the Lord. You're looking, you, you have just let the world get your eyes down here. Stop looking here and look there. We do that through the word. That's what Paul said earlier, that we're conformed and committed to the knowledge of the image of the creator through his word. Look at the conclusion statement. He wraps it all, all of the end of chapter 5, 
and all of chapter 6 is in this verse. 23. For, it's like saying because, for the wages of sin is death. But, but the gift of God is what? Eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jeremiah 17, 9 through 10 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can understand it? Sometimes we decide and we look at our heart and we look at the things around us and other people's hearts and we make decisions based on what we think and feel. The heart is deceitful. It's wicked. It's impure. Verse 10, it says, I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. Here's the conclusion. You're either earning wages of death or you're receiving the free gift of life. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, you will also reap. What you truly earn, what you're working at, you will, you will reap it. For the one who sows of the flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. The idea of corruption that leads to decay, which leads to death. But the one who sows of the Spirit presents himself to God, to the Spirit, will from the Spirit reap eternal life. I want you to think about this as Paul summarized this and asked this question, what will sin, the promise of sin, the bene- what will it really benefit you? What is really the benefit? What will it add to your life? What will that song, that extra amount of money that outdoing somebody, being better than other people, more power, what will it do for you? What is it really going to do? What is it going to benefit you? As Paul summarizes the end, the result of the life of the unbelief and following sin opposed to the life of belief, the world system is mixed up like this. They say that there is no sin. It says that sin brings no consequences, but the reality is is that sin produces a wage. By the way, a wage is something you earn. By the way, if it's something you earn, it's something you work at. Paul is telling us that sin is work. Don't be deceived what sin is going to tempt you, that it is going to give you the benefit that it gives you, it will always end in work. That earns you a wage that leads to death. People work at sin. They earn and deserve the wage of sin. They deserve it because that's their work. That's what they've set their mind on. In contrast, in this end of this verse, to the wages of sin is the free gift of God. God, By the way, so think about that. 
God produced a gift. You didn't produce it, right? You work at sin. You produce a wage because you work at sin. But God produced a gift. Because it's a gift, you did not earn it. Think about that. It's not something we earn. It's not something you worked at. It's a gift. God produced it. You did not earn it. It was something done for you. That means you didn't deserve it. Look at this thought. One deserved payment. The other one is an undeserved gift. Which kingdom are you living for? In this new life of Christ, if you've been saved, if if you have surrendered your life to Christ, if you know that he is your savior, that he paid for your sin, which one are you presenting yourself to while you're living here on earth? Here's a question. Do you live as if you deserve rights? You deserve something? If you're focused on I deserve, I deserve, I deserve, you might question which one you're presenting yourself to. Because one is deserved a payment and the other one is undeserving. Are you loving? Are you in love? Are you just in love with who God is and what he's done for you? That undeserved gift, does that capture your thoughts and minds? Do you see yourself? It puts everybody on the same level, by the way. We're all undeserving. Are you living like you deserve something? Or have you presented yourself to Christ in his kingdom and his righteousness? Are you seeking first the kingdom of God? Because you realize real quick, we're not deserving. We're undeserving. A theologian, Fesco, J.V. Fesco, said this, what when, an un, when an accused criminal stands before the judge, shackled in chains, and the judge pronounces the verdict of not guilty, the plaintiff comes over, removes the shackles, and the prisoner goes free. Similar, when God declares us right, the shackles and bondage of sin, and the death itself comes off, and we are freed in Christ to live Lives of holiness and righteousness through the power of God. We are free to become, we are free to become what we have been declared in Christ. We are free to be holy. A Chinese proverb, you know, I don't know if this is sacrilege, but a Chinese proverb once said, you don't drown by falling into water. You just, that's not why you drowned. You drowned by staying there. Translate that into what God is telling us here. We don't die in sin because of just falling into sin. We die because we stay there. 
Do you feel like you're drowning as a believer? You know that Christ has died for you. He's paid for your sins. You know that you've been declared right in God's eyes, but you feel like you're drowning. Maybe your eyes are over here. What gift are you receiving? Will you receive gifts? Are you receiving gifts from the Lord? Or are you continuing to earn a wage? (laughs) The consequence of our sin. Choose you this day whom you will serve. You'll either get what you deserve or you'll enjoy great gifts of love. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this text. We thank you for the depth. Thank you for the warning and the love in which you gave it to us to help us to not fall in love with what is around us, not be distracted by a bunch of good things, but to be in love with that which is right. Our Lord and Savior, may Christ's work on the cross, that gift of love, impact us so much that it keeps us walking away from sin and enjoying the fruit of righteousness, being conformed into your image and not in earning the wages of sin. Lord, I pray that if there's someone here that has never surrendered their life to you, they're still living in sin, They've never been saved from their sin. They've never given their life to you and saying that you are my Savior. You paid for my sin. That they would simply do that this morning as we pray and as we sing. Would they just turn their heart over to you, call upon the name of the Lord, and that they would be saved because they know what you've done for them. May they respond to that call of salvation from their sin as he's calling and saying, come, receive my gift and enjoy my kingdom forever. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.